Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you for your word, asking that you will breathe upon it, O God. Father, let your word do what it says it will do. Let it transform. Uh, That's what we're asking for, transformation, a renewal of our minds, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Well, uh, uh, as we journey into the the promised land, journey our journey into God's promises today uh, we are going to be talking about leadership uh, leadership in uncertain times and we're going to learn lessons from the life of Moses if you remember if you cast your mind back uh, we at some point uh, spoke about uh, a failure in leadership and we looked at the life of Aaron we used him as an example where of someone who failed in quite a number of, of, of circumstances, situations as a leader. Well, now we want to look at what is really the opposite. We want to see what a successful leader does. Um, and Moses is obviously a prime example, a good model of what a successful leader does. And I, I want you to understand that when we talk about leadership, don't get that mindset immediately that thinks of, the head of an organization, uh, the head of a government, or, or leadership in those terms. Every single one of us is a leader. And if, we've, if we follow John Maxwell's uh, definition of leadership, uh, where he says leadership is influence, then as long as we have influence in one way or another, we are leaders. Um, we, so it's not, I'm not talking about solely those who run organizations or run governments or at, at the head of, 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 of one entity or another. I'm talking about you and I. I'm say, talking about, about us having influence, us being able to affect things, affect people, um, and as a result, we are leaders, every single one of us. And you know, Leadership in uncertain times. These are very uncertain times uh, with the pandemic, COVID-19, with the results of the the consequences of the pandemic, uh, economic consequences, social consequences, the consequences as it has affected uh, us in so many different ways. These are very uncertain times. These These are... you know, volatile times. These are times when you can't predict what will happen tomorrow or next week. But then it's at times like this that leadership comes to the fore. And that's why we want to talk about it looking at the life of Moses. And so I want to share with you uh, seven things I have gleaned from the life of Moses that are things that a leader who wants to thrive who wants to influence others, who wants to fulfill his or her mandate, God's call on his or her life, 
these are seven things that I feel are critical for that leader to bear in mind and to imbibe in their lives. <clears throat> the first thing, studying the life of Moses, is that in these times, more than ever before, of course it is something that, that, that we expect should, have been, should be part of the cause of our lives as Christians, a leader must have a deep relationship with God. Now, I'm not talking about being sons and daughters and the relationship we establish at salvation. That is amazing because that guarantees that we spend an eternity with God in heaven when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But then that is the beginning of a journey, and we are not expected to stop there, just accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because of the fallen nature of man, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we move along this line towards Jesus in terms of being his image and his likeness. And so I'm talking about a deeper, more intimate relationship, um, one that the Bible in Moses' case uh, refers to as friendship with God. And so, yes, we, you can be a son and a daughter, but the question is, are you a friend of God? Now, I know we sing the popular song that declares that we are friends of God, but then it is when God calls you his friend that you know that you have arrived at that place of a deeper and more intimate relationship with God. Listen to God's testimony um, uh, about Moses and his relationship with Moses. The Bible says in Exodus 33 verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. The key, the key thing there is that God spoke to him face to face. Uh, this is a metaphor for a deep relationship, uh, nothing superficial, uh, an intimate relationship. And the Bible goes on to say, as a man speaks to his friend. In Numbers, the 12th chapter, verses 6 to 8, um, after um, um, Aaron and Miriam had instigated, a, 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 tried to instigate a rebellion, and God came down to deal with it, a rebellion against Moses. Now, this is what God says. This is God's testimony about Moses. He said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I, I speak to him in a dream. So God says, this is how I deal with a special class of people, my prophets. I have a relationship with them. I make myself known to them in visions and in dreams. But he says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. God says, I deal with special category of people, my prophets. I make myself known to them, visions and dreams. I share things with them. He says, but then there is a, there's a distinct category that Moses belongs to, not so with him. He, say, he says, he is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. Again, that metaphor of intimacy. Even plainly, um, there, there's nothing hidden. God is very open uh, in his relationship with Moses. He says, I speak to him 
plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Again, another metaphor for intimacy. He sees things that other people don't see. He sees the form of the Lord. Now, that paints a picture of a deep relationship. But then the question you and I should be asking ourselves, because we want to get there. We also want to be friends of God. What is it that made Moses so special? Uh, how, why did God take him uh, in this special way and take him into these depths of intimacy that the Bible records for us? Well, it's hidden in, that, in the scriptures we read. He says about him, he says, he is faithful in all my house. He says, not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. So what is it that made Moses so special? What is it that endeared Moses to God, commended Moses to God? What is it that made God draw him into this, this, this reserved place, this special place, and have that friendship with him? The Bible says, because God said he is faithful in all my house. He is loyal to God. He is steadfast. He is trustworthy. He can be counted up, up, upon. He is devoted to God and the things of God. He is obedient to God, obedient to the Word of God. He is constant. Uh, he's not uh, vacillating. Uh, today he does the right thing. Tomorrow he does something else that is not the right thing, uh, going up and down. His life wasn't some sort of yo-yo life. He is constant. He is dedicated. He is committed. Uh, that is what endeared him to God. For you and I, it's our commitment to God, our loyalty to God, our steadfastness with the things of God, our being trustworthy. God can trust us. Our being devoted to the things of God, committed to the Word of God, committed to the place of prayer, committed to the pursuit of God, literally giving our hearts to it. Those are the things that commend a person to God in terms of a, building a deep relationship with Him. And why does a leader need that level of intimacy? Because it's a place that allows God to speak plainly to you, not in dark sayings, to reveal things to you. It's a place that allows a person to trust God because of the depth of their relationship, to rely on God. And in uncertain times, don't we need God showing us, speaking to us, assuring us? Don't we need to have that kind of faith that stands in these uncertain times? It comes from a deep relationship with God. A leader has to have that. Number two, and it follows on from that, uh, a, a leader must be prayerful like Moses was. When you look at Moses' prayer life, and it's an interesting study to do and one that I am I'm doing, you're amazed at the depth of Moses' prayers, the audacity of his prayers, the boldness of his prayers, the faith that is inherent in, in Moses' prayer life. The Bible lays it bare for us. You're, you're challenged by the, the steady and constant communion with God that Moses has through all the challenges, constantly hearing God, constantly receiving instruction from God, constantly speaking back to God. Now, you're also encouraged as you look at Moses' life 
you're encouraged when you realize that it was not always so. That at the start, Moses had doubt in his heart, had some degree of insecurity, uh, thought he didn't qualify, uh, he didn't have that level of relationship that the Bible displays uh, for us as he moves on in building a deeper relationship with God. So you and I are encouraged that if, he, if Moses could do it, come from where he was with all the disadvantages, and yet we're sharing his life as a testament of a man who prayed and moved heaven, a man who prayed and God listened, a man who entered dimensions of prayer with, prayer with God that has become a study for us, then you can do the same and I can do the same. We encourage ourselves to press in, in prayer, uh, uh, in, into our relationship with God. And you know, if there's one thing, uh, I, I like Moses' audacity in prayer. I like his boldness in prayer. I like the way that he exercised faith in prayer. But the one thing that I love as I studied Moses was, I just simply love how constantly, as a lifestyle, he was constantly in prayer constantly talking to God. It wasn't something that he did at a certain time and then went, went about his life. It was his life. He was constantly in prayer. And doesn't the Bible encourage us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17? And how can we pray without ceasing? Because the Bible says we should, so it means that God expects that we should is by maintaining a constant flow of prayer. You know, one of the books that changed my life 20-something years ago was a book written by my spiritual mentor, Dr. Onuzo, Pathway to Conversational Prayer. Was I excited to speak to him last week and for him to tell me that part of the benefits of the lockdown for him, in addition to writing a few other books, was that he had rewritten Pathway to Conversational Prayer um, I read it 20-something-odd 20, 20 years ago. He's rewritten it. And I would commend that book to you, uh, Pathway to Conversational Prayer. That's what helped me then, and I intend to read it again with all the additions he has made because the key uh, to leadership in these uncertain times is to have as a lifestyle conversation, a lifestyle of conversational prayer with God constantly, an exchange constantly going on, communion with God as you're navigating your way through the uncertainties of this life. Number three, Moses was visionary. Every leader has to be visionary in these uncertain times. Blessed is the family that has a visionary person as the head of that family. Blessed is the organization that has a visionary person as the head of that organization. And of course, blessed is the nation that has a visionary person as the head of that nation. When we see nations flounder and nations collapse, all you have to do is look at the leadership of the nation and you can tell this is why it is happening because there is no visionary person at the helm of affairs. Reverend Theodore Hesburgh says this, I, lo I love this, the very essence of leadership is that you have to have a vision. 
it has got to be articulated clearly and forcefully on every occasion. You can't blow an uncertain trumpet. You know, if we understand that this is, life is warfare, we are wrestling against an organized hierarchy of wickedness, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 12, then we want to hear a clear sound from the trumpet. An uncertain sound brings confusion. And when you're, visionary, when you're a visionary, you're sharing vision, whether it's with a little group that you're a part of, a family that you're a part of, a community that you're a part of, a vision for yourself to even take your life forward. When the trumpet is uncertain in its sound, it brings about confusion. Isn't that why that wise king says in Proverbs 29 verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But then the question, practical question is, what exactly do you mean by a vision and how do we get one? Well, a vision is a divinely inspired picture about your future. That same scripture, Proverbs 29, verse 18, the Passion Translation says this, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. It gives us the things that are necessary for a vision. It says there has to be a clear prophetic vision. It doesn't mean that the person is a prophet, but it means that the person discerns the mind of God for what is ahead. That's why it's called a clear prophetic vision. It's discerning the mind of God. But then how do I discern the mind of God? Because if I don't discern the mind of God, chaos is, is, is inevitable. People wander astray. People, one translation says, cast off all restraints. Look around the world. When you see a nation where there is chaos, confusion, uh, where things are falling apart, where things are, are, are degenerating, look to the head of that nation. You will find someone there who has no vision whatsoever. Hence, the people wander astray and the people cast off all restraints. But the, the, that scripture helps us understand that when we follow the revelation of the Word, so how do we re receive a vision? It's in the revelation of the Word. God has already said it in the Word. It just needs to come alive and have application to your life. And it comes alive when you're studying the Word, meditating on the Word, and the Spirit of God takes the Word and makes it particular to you, paints a picture on your heart that, that nothing can erase. No difficult times, no uncertain times, no challenging circumstances can erase it. And then you can share it with those that you need to share it with so that they can run with it. Moses sets an example as the children of Israel come to the Red Sea. And for them, it is over. It, it is over. It is over because there is a wall of, a, a mass of water ahead of them and they don't know how to get across it. And bearing down on them is a murderous Egyptian army. It is over. What do you need in a situation like that? 
You need a, 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 a visionary that can receive from God a vision and share it with, with, with the people. You see, visionaries are purveyors of hope. That's what visionaries do. They cause hope to rise. So the children of Israel in Exodus 14 verse 12, they begin to cry out, you know, we are finished. You should have left us alone. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. But what does Moses do in verse 13? He rises up and begins to share a vision. He tells them, don't be afraid. Stand still and see. And that's what a visionary always says. Stand still and see. Look and see. A visionary paints a picture. He says, see the salvation the Lord of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. And then he paints a picture for them. He says, these Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. And it's instructive that when you go to Exodus first, um, chapter 15 of Exodus, what you see there will bring a smile to your face. These very same people who had said it's over, you know, we're finished, uh, we're dead, we should have left us to die in Egypt. The Bible says that in Exodus 15 that they, they started to sing songs to the Lord and, and, and enter the dimension of praise and, 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 and worship and joy. Uh, the children of Israel, the Bible says, sang this song to the Lord uh, and they began to sing. And then not to be outdone, when they finished the children of Israel, Miriam grabs her tambourine uh, 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 and in and her hand and gathers the women and then begins to sing and dance. And when I read that, I thought to myself, and this the same people who a short while ago had given up, but someone had shared a vision with them, stirred them up, told them they could go ahead, that they were going to conquer. They had conquered, hence the dancing. Number four. What does a leader need in these uncertain times? The heart of a kingdom leader. Now, there, there are different kinds of leadership styles. There are worldly leadership styles. And thank God for all the books that we read about leadership. Um, like you, I have a lot of them. I have sh uh, shelves uh, either here in, in the church or at home in my library uh, where uh, that, that have books about leaders. But the leadership model, the number one leadership model, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, in Mark's Gospel, the 10th chapter, uh, he teaches this foundation principle of kingdom leadership. Uh, we lead in the kingdom in a different way from the way the world leads. And that lesson he gives them comes about because two of his disciples, and in one account their mother aids them, show the leadership traits of the world, what we see around, what is celebrated in a lot of circles as good leadership. They display their ambition to aspire to positions. The two boys, the Zebedee brothers, um, in one account aided by their mother or instigated by their mother, in, their mother instigates them, James and John, they go to Jesus and try to campaign for a position. Can we be on your right and your left uh, when your kingdom comes? Now, of course, the other disciples, the ten disciples, other disciples hear this and it causes 
a, a lot, a, a conflict um, within the group of disciples. So Jesus decides to give them a lesson on the heart of a kingdom leader. And it doesn't look like any of the things that we see out there. This is what Jesus says to them. Mark the 10th chapter, verses 42 to 45. Jesus gathers them together and said to them, those recognized as rulers of the people and those who are in top leadership positions rule oppressively over their subjects. But this is not the example you are to follow. What was he saying? There's a leadership style that is oppressive. You know, you, you, you show your might by how you rule the people. You know, you, you, you're forceful and you're, you're punitive if, if they err. You exercise power over them. Jesus says that's not how we operate in the kingdom. He says you are to lead by a different model. What was he saying? There are other models, but the, in this kingdom, we have a different model. Christians lead differently, should lead differently. The tragedy is to see Christians, whether at home in the family, whether in the community, or in any other place where people are leading, adopt a leadership style that is not a kingdom leadership style. He says you are to lead by a different model. He says this is the model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a bond slave who serves everyone. This is a crazy model but it is the kingdom way. In the world, the path to promotion comes by stabbing, by climbing on people, by oppressing people, by snitching on people, by doing whatever you have to do, by showing up people, by showing that you are better than them. Do what you have to do to climb the ladder. And a lot of us, we have separated our lives in a way where we have the secular and we have the sacred. So on Sunday, we are in the sacred space. In our quiet time, we are in a sacred space. But when we get to the city, you have to be like them in the city. You've got to be powerful. You've got to be loud or you've got to be aggressive or you've got to make sure that you show what you're doing. But Jesus says it doesn't work like that in the kingdom. We don't operate like that. He says in the kingdom, the way to prominence, the way to promotion is by having the heart of a servant, by serving, every, by serving everyone. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life as a ransom prize in exchange for the salvation. That's how it works in the kingdom, as I serve. And when I say serve, what do I mean? I mean, I'm, I think about you. I, I, want your, I want the best for you. I promote you. Uh, I, I, I pour into you. As I do that, the kingdom has a way of raising such a person to prominence. Number five, a leader in these times, at any time, but certainly in these times, must know how to handle criticism. If there's one thing I can guarantee you, the way the world is now, if you are leading in any capacity, you will be criticized. If you don't want to be criticized, then you've got to 
literally, you can't stand the heat in the kitchen, you've got to leave the kitchen. Because it's the nature of leadership. Um, not right now, the world is an interesting place because everybody is, has the capacity to publish anything they, they, they think. It might not make sense, as, as quite, a, quite a significant amount doesn't. It might be arrant nonsense. It might be so unintelligent and, and just the kind of thing that you wonder, why would anybody say this? But with a mobile device and the internet and social media, everybody owns a publishing house now. In those days, it used to be... Uh, um, tons of resources to own a publishing house. Now you just need to be able to buy a mobile, one of those devices, and you own a publishing house. You can publish anything you like. You can sit down, lie down, uh, vegetate all day, and just spew out all kinds of things. You can attack people's character, attack people's reputation, just basically do what you want. So what that means is that anyone who says something somebody doesn't like should expect some kickback from it. You, and you know, you get, you, that, that's the way the world is. You must expect criticism. Now, how do we handle criticism? This is lesson 101 from Moses, a master uh, uh, as a leader. In Numbers, the 12th chapter, um, verses 1 to 2, um, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard. Uh, these are his, his sister and his brother. They gathered together and harshly criticized him. And why were they criticizing him? They were criticizing him simply because of the color of his wife's skin. She was of a darker complexion. She was an Ethiopian woman. And for them, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. And they attacked him. Who, who are you, is what they were saying to him. Why do you arrogate to yourself the sole responsibility for hearing from God and speaking to us? Now, one thing I learned from Moses is that he didn't bother to respond to them. He left God to deal with it. There's some criticism that is not worth your while responding to. To respond to it is to play into the hands of the person criticizing you, to fan the flames and to give them something uh, that they can get their teeth in. Moses didn't bother. He kept his eye on the mission. But God bothered. It made God angry. And we read in verses 9 to 12 that, that, that when God's anger was aroused... He, he, he came down and chastised them and eventually struck Miriam with leprosy. The condition of her heart, the leprous condition of her heart, the toxic nature of her heart was exposed publicly for all to see. Now, it's interesting that Aaron again displays his character. As soon as Aaron turns and sees that Mir Miriam has leprosy, he appeals to Moses, my Lord, don't lay this sin on us. We have done foolishly, we have sinned. Don't let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. He turns immediately once he knows that it's not going the way that we wanted. Now, Moses would have been justified to say, well, you brought it upon yourself. You know, it's a natural tendency. You, you hurt me. You know, you stabbed me. 
You know, you, 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 you drew blood from me with your words. You should pay for that. But what does Moses do? Numbers 12, verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Moses was a very special person. So yes, criticisms will come. Um, some of them are good because we learn from criticism. So we take a look at the criticism and see whether there is an element of truth or something we can learn in it. If there isn't, then we just put it aside and concentrate on the mission, on where you are going. Number six, a leader must have humility. God cannot and will not use a proud person. The testimony of Moses in Numbers, the 12th chapter and the third verse. Now the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. That was the testimony then, but it was not always so. When we read about the proud young man who kills an Egyptian and buries him in the sand, a young man who was brought up as a prince of Egypt, uh, with all that comes with that position. You know that this man was certainly not a humble man. And what did God do? This is a lesson. If God is going to use you and there is pride or arrogance, then if you don't deal with it yourself, you must prepare for God to deal with it. And sometimes God's dealings can really be painful. So we need to check ourselves so that we don't have to go through God's school of humility. It, for, for Moses, it was 40 years living off his father-in-law in obscurity, all the pomp of, of being prince of Egypt forgotten as his companions were the sheep that he took out to pasture every single day for 40 years. And he didn't even own the sheep. It was his father-in-law's sheep. Now you can imagine the, the proud, arrogant prince uh, living off his father-in-law for 40 years. His dreams shattered. No hope for the future. Wondering if this is where his life was going to end. As a second-class citizen living in a foreign land, it dealt with him. By the time God finished, he was the most humble man on earth. You know, the Bible says, as, the, as Peter encourages us to pursue humility, he say, the Bible says in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, verses 5 and 6, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You just, you just, you want God to stand against you, resist you, then let there be pride or arrogance. God himself will resist you. So Peter goes on to encourage us, therefore, Humble yourselves. Do it yourself. Because if you don't do it yourself, God will do it. If God is going to use you and there's any pride or arrogance, check yourself. Do it yourself. If not, God will do it. Therefore, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. 
And when you do that, when you humble yourself, then leave God, as he says, to exalt you in due time. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 to 5. I, I, I like how this really drives home this point. And I am staying here quite a bit because I think that uh, one of the things that we sadly have to deal with, especially in the body of Christ, is pride and arrogance. He says, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 5, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. That's how you become humble, by preferring others, by considering others, by putting others first. He says, he goes on to say, abandon every display of selfishness. Selfishness is the mother of, of pride and arrogance when it's about you, yourself. When you abandon selfishness, then you can start the journey into humility. He says, possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. And then he puts before us the example of Christ. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He left heaven and came down to earth. He lived the, the, the son of a carpenter, uh, a regular life. This is the creator of the ends of the earth. This is Jesus, the son of God. He humbled himself so that he could fulfill God's mission. Let's learn to humble ourselves. Let me end with this warning. Proverbs 16 verse 5. Exalting yourself is disgusting to the Lord. For pride attracts his punishment, and you can count on that. Number seven, as we come to an end. A leader has to be teachable. One of the things that I love about Moses, despite all God was doing with him, was that he had a teachable spirit. He was willing to be corrected. He was open to learning uh, he was submitted to learning. He didn't think, I know it all, I have it all. The example of his father-in-law is a case in point. In Exodus, the 18th chapter and the first verse, his father-in-law comes to meet him with his wife, that's the father-in-law's daughter, and, and his children. Now, when he arrives to meet him, in verse 6 tells us that, um, Exodus 18, verse 6. When he arrives to meet him, he comes having heard what God had done with Moses. So Moses was, was a happening guy. He was the guy. God was doing so much through him. He was, he'd led this nation of more than 3 million people out of Egypt, dramatic signs and wonders through Moses. How many, how many, how many of us think we could have survived that without some pride or arrogance? That you, 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 you smote the river, the river turned to blood. You threw the dust, it, it turned to gnats. You, I mean, you, God was walking some power through you. It's, 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 I, I, I don't know that I know anybody who wouldn't have been intoxicated by that. But Moses understood that all that is simply by God's grace. My sister, it's God's grace. It's not you. It is just God's grace. Don't let it get to your head, my brother. Don't let it get to your head. 
And so Moses was very teachable. So when his father-in-law comes up to him and then watches him run his organization and says to him in verses 17 to 19, this is not going to work. You're going to wear yourself out and wear these people out. It is too much for one person to believe, uh, for one person to do. He says, listen to my voice. I will give you counsel. And what does Moses do? Moses doesn't tell him, where did you come from? You're not even a, a child of Israel. Do you understand what God has done? How do you think they came out of Egypt? Haven't you heard about the miracles God did through me? Have you heard about the Red Sea? Moses didn't say that. Moses sat down and listened to his father-in-law, took the advice on board, and implemented it. A leader must be teachable. I say to people, show me who your mentor is. Show me who your teachers are. I, I, I say to every single man, you must be submitted somewhere. Let me speak to the guys now. You have to be submitted somewhere. There must be somebody who can call you to order. Where are you submitted? Are you so arrogant that you don't feel that there's anyone who can pour anything into your life? I say to couples, as a couple, you must be submitted somewhere. There must be somebody who can step in if there are issues. Everyone knows where I'm submitted. I am submitted. If I misbehave, Shola knows where she can go because I am submitted there. Thankfully, she hasn't had any reason to and she will not have any reason to, but it exists. I'm submitted. I'm, I'm, I'm teachable. You have to be teachable. You have to be willing to learn. And you learn from those who you think have more knowledge or more experience than you, but you also learn from those who you might be mentoring. Uh, that's why, of course, we've created all the mentoring schemes that we have in church, uh, Esther's mentoring scheme, uh, the men's mentoring scheme. All these are opportunities for us to get mentors into our life, people who will speak and guide and counsel in our lives. You must have a teachable spirit if you're going to go far as a leader. Now, we could talk a bit more about a few more things. I would have loved to talk about Moses' faith um, and how a leader in these times need, needs to have faith. Just believe God for what God says. Hold on to God. Take Him at His word. Believe, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that you come to God with faith, believing that He is and that He's a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. Hallelujah. We looked at Aaron as a failure in leadership. Today we've looked at Moses as a success, a leadership success story. And I pray that will be your testimony, that people will look to you and say you're a success as a leader in whatever sphere that you're leading. Um, might be a small group of friends who look up to you, who you influence, might be a family, might be a community, some, some sort of community, uh, a, a, a church, uh, an organization. It doesn't matter where it is. Might, might just be your position in the office and two people who you influence in your office. Whatever it is, you are a leader. And my prayer is that you will be the Moses kind of leader, uh, not the Aaron kind of leader. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you and bless you for your grace, Father, to become leaders that are exemplary, Christ-like in our leadership. As I come to an end, if there's anyone who hasn't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 
you can't do any of these things on your own. It's not by power, not by might. It's by, the, by His Spirit, by the grace of God. And that grace, you, receive, you start the journey of having that grace poured into your life when you receive Jesus into your life. And so if there's anyone who's, who's watching and listening, uh, you haven't accepted Jesus, why don't you take advantage of the opportunity this morning to welcome him into your life? Right now, he's knocking on the door of your heart. All you have to do to receive that free gift of salvation is to open the door of your heart. And how do you open it? By simply saying a prayer that, that sends a message to God that you have opened your heart. And if you want to say that prayer, I will say it with you. Uh, will you say this prayer after me as you open your heart for Jesus to come in? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus Christ. I open the door of my heart for him to come into my heart and into my life. I accept him today as my Lord and my Savior. I make a commitment to turn away from anything that is displeasing to you and to him. I commit myself to obeying your word, Heavenly Father. Thank you for accepting me into your family. By this prayer, I know that I am now a child of yours, born again into your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, congratulations if you said that prayer. It's simple. It would seem so simple, but it is monumental. The Bible tells us that you've been translated uh, by that prayer into the kingdom of God and welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. I hope you were challenged by that word. We are destined to be leaders that make a difference. You and I, we make a difference in whatever sphere that God has placed us. We are salt and light. We are change agents. Uh, that's the kind of leadership that God wants, leadership that will bring change.